John chapter 20, we'll begin reading this morning in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The wind is one of the most mysterious yet powerful forces in nature. Gale force winds can howl and twist, or the wind can blow as a soft and gentle breeze. And we use the wind, don't we? We need the wind. I mean, when you jump out of the shower in the morning and you're in a hurry and you don't have time to let your hair dry on its own, you use the wind to blow it dry. When you dust off your driveway, you crank up the leaf blower. It draws a robust gust of wind that blasts away the debris. You see, at times, the Holy Spirit is like a boisterous wind. He sweeps in to clean us up and blow us off. God's Spirit can move in gusts and in flurries and in serious squalls. At other times, the Holy Spirit is like a calm and gentle breeze. He moves among us in refreshing ways. Either way, just as we need the wind, we need the Holy Spirit. For like a kite on a balmy day or a parasail on a glassy lake, the Christian who doesn't catch a gust of the Spirit remains grounded. He or she will never set sail. We need the Holy Spirit. This event that occurs here in John chapter 20, verse 22, takes place just after Jesus' resurrection. The living Lord breathed on His disciples and told them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You'll find that one of the idioms used in the Bible of the Holy Spirit is that of breath or wind. The word spirit, in fact, in both the Greek language, pneuma, and the Hebrew language, ruach, get translated with the same word into English, wind. I like how one paraphrase renders verse 22. Jesus took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. Notice, Jesus took a deep breath. Jesus drew from deep within and gave to his disciples something of himself. What an incredible gift to give. What happened in the upper room that evening had no resemblance whatsoever to the antics that we see associated with the Holy Spirit on Christian television or at a Benny Hinn rally. I mean, Jesus was not some prima donna preacher prancing across the stage, blowing on people and knocking them over. That's not what's happening here. Jesus wasn't wooing the crowd into some hyper-emotional state or playing on the heightened anticipations of his disciples. In fact, these men had been tempered by reality. They had just gone through the fire. 
They had just come out of the shadows of fear in the fields of failure. For the last three days, these defeated men had felt dead inside. Peter had betrayed the Lord. The others had denied him. They're all assuming if Jesus is alive, he won't have anything to do with us now. But Jesus appears to these men behind closed doors. And he draws from deep within. And then he breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Hey, this is not some manipulation. This is true impartation. There's no show here. No showmanship in these verses. Jesus isn't puffed up with pride or full of hot air. This isn't a case of bad breath. Oh, no. Jesus is taking something from deep within himself, and he's putting it deep within his disciples. As the psalmist describes it, deep calls unto deep. Jesus is forming a heart connection with his men. What Jesus does here in John chapter 20 is similar to what God the Father did at the original creation. There Genesis 2 verse 7 tells us, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Once again, God breathed into Adam the gift of life. God transmitted the life that was within him and put it into the man. And just as God transmitted physical life to Adam, here Jesus transmits spiritual life to his disciples. He breathes into them something of himself. When my son Nick was younger, I mentioned to him one day that he should go out for high school wrestling. I thought he had the build and the athleticism to make a championship wrestler. Of course, he was immediately opposed to the idea. For Nick, in his mind, he, when he thought of the sport of wrestling, all he could envision was fat guys in tights. Wrestling to him was painted faces in WrestleMania. In his mind, all he thought of was the fake and the phony and the hype. And he wanted no part of it. And with that as his model, I don't blame him. Professional wrestling gives real wrestling a bad rap. Wrestling is staged entertainment. It's showmanship, not substance. It's scripted outcomes, not competitive effort. To appreciate the sport of wrestling, you need to take your son to a high school wrestling match or a college match. Let him witness a genuine wrestling event. And this is how some folks have responded when they hear of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they've seen the sideshows and the abuses. The wrestling, not the wrestling. And in response, they've just thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I believe most Christians want a deeper experience with God. They just don't want to go off the deep end. They need to receive the Holy Spirit. But ignorance or misconception or maybe fear keeps them from opening up. See, here's what happens. We correctly assume that the Holy Spirit wants to make us more holy and more spiritual. He's the Holy Spirit. But then we see folks supposedly under the sway of the Holy Spirit acting more carnal and less spiritual. Hey, I want to be godly, not goofy. I'm goofy enough as it is. 
People get turned off by the antics of folks who claim to be spiritual while acting very unspiritual. That's why what's needed today in our churches is a genuine outpouring of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What happened in our text between Jesus and His disciples? This wasn't theatrics. This was theology in its truest sense. This was the study of God through the Spirit of God and the experience of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And thus, how can we know Jesus and walk with Jesus and serve Jesus fully and effectively without receiving the influence of the Holy Spirit? Here Jesus transmits His life, His love, His power to His disciples through the Holy Spirit. And it's my prayer this morning that our Lord Jesus will continue to breathe on us. For we also desperately need the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus was crucified, He spoke to His disciples about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 17, Jesus told His followers that the Holy Spirit was with them. The Spirit of God had been with them to convict them of their sin, to draw them to the Savior. Here in John 20, they believe in the risen Christ, thus meeting the requirements of salvation. And as a result, Jesus breathes on them and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them. Though Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and leave them physically, He would forever be linked to His disciples spiritually through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was within them. But Jesus wasn't done. For a few weeks later... On the day of Pentecost, he got, off, he got out the leaf blower. He breathed on his disciples again, but this time with a mighty gust. In Acts chapter 2, we're told, flickers of fire appeared over the heads of his disciples, and the people in the room heard the audible sound of a rushing mighty wind. The Amplified Version calls it a violent tempest blast. This is not a mild breeze that leaves the believers in their world unaltered. Oh no, this was a bold wind. This was a hurricane that blows upon them, that picks up the pieces of their lives and totally rearranges their way of living. You see, in John chapter 20 here, Jesus breathes gently on His disciples, the Holy Spirit. In contrast, Acts chapter 2 is a windstorm. He breathes the same Spirit upon the same people, but in a different way. In Acts chapter 2, with gale force intensity. You see, that's just it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes gently. At other times, He blows through the house like a hurricane. But God's Word to us is always the same. Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus continually Breathes fresh breath on His church. Receive the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time command. It's an attitude. It is the permanent posture that we should maintain with the Holy Spirit. Our approach to Him should always be one of receiving. 2 Samuel chapter 5 provides a wonderful analogy that again depicts the Holy Spirit as the wind. When the Philistine army heard that David had replaced Saul as king of Israel, they tried to take advantage of this change of administrations. Perhaps they could catch Israel with their guard down, maybe use the element of surprise. 
And so they deployed their troops to the valley of Rephaim. When David heard about it, he prayed. And he inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? God replied, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And true to God's word, that's exactly what happened. David thoroughly routed the Philistine army. But you see, these Philistines, they were slow learners. Once they had recovered, they tried the same tactic. Again, they deployed troops to the valley of Rephaim. Understand, this is the same enemy in the same theater of conflict, same strategy, basically the same circumstances, the same time frame, in fact. Now, what would you have done if you'd been David? To me, this looks like a no-brainer. I've already prayed about these exact circumstances. Why would God answer me any differently this time than last? I would have assumed that God would give me the very same marching orders. But I would have assumed wrong. Thankfully, David didn't assume. Again, he inquired of the Lord, and God answered him, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Again, David obeyed, and he drove back the Philistine army. But the story illustrates our tendency. You see, humans look for patterns to mimic, formulas to follow. We want a copy of the blueprints. We're always looking for a template that we can lay over a given situation so we'll know exactly the steps that we can take to solve the problem. Oh, just trace the lines and the outcome is guaranteed. And we do this as Christians as well. Christians love the steps, the six steps to victory in the Christian life. They love the keys, the three keys to overcoming temptation. The six steps, the three keys to effective witnessing. Even pastors do this. They travel to a church that's growing, and they study its behavior, assuming that they can learn the secret formula. There's only one problem. There is no secret formula. David was given two different strategies from the same circumstances. Rather than lead through a formula, God told David to wait on the wind, on the Holy Spirit. The Lord instructed David to circle around behind the enemy and wait for the sound of marching in the treetops, or literally the wind rustling in the tops of the mulberries. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. And if you want to walk in spiritual victory and be a winsome witness for Jesus and win battles for Jesus, don't look for a program or a plan, or a pattern, follow a person. Here is the secret formula. We need the Holy Spirit. God doesn't come in an elixir that I turn up and drink. God isn't doled out in a pill. God won't be condensed to a can or consumed in a tablet. He definitely doesn't fit in a box. God is spirit. And following the Spirit is like listening to the wind. In John chapter 3, verse 8, 
Jesus said to Rabbi Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying that the movements and the ways and the workings of the Holy Spirit are as unpredictable and as unexpected as changes in the wind currents. Watch a flag flap and blow in the breeze above the scoreboard on a windy day. The wind's blowing out one moment, then it's blowing in. It's blowing right, then it's blowing left. You're never sure which way the wind blows. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit. He has a mind of His own. You see, God's Spirit has His own agenda. The Holy Spirit calls the shots, not you, not me. The Spirit of God does what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. Our job is to simply follow. If God did author programs and formulas, you know, it would still be us in control. We'd be plugging in our quarter and getting out the result that we wanted. And that's not what He wants. For you can't control the wind. The wind charts its own course, and so does the Holy Spirit. And if we're depending on God's Spirit, it's up to us to bend and to adapt and to adjust to Him, never vice versa. A veteran army paratrooper was addressing a group of new recruits. This particular soldier had completed his 2,000th military jump. After his talk, one of the new recruits asked the old pro how he'd gotten involved in parachuting in the first place. The veteran soldier replied, well, I was an infantryman 15,000 feet in the air. We were scheduled to land, but the plane's engine blew out. I started jumping because I had no other choice. And this is why I need the Holy Spirit. For I have no other choice. If I want to connect to heaven while on earth, if I want to walk with God and receive power from God, and live in the will of God, and be pleasing to God, that only occurs through involvement with the Holy Spirit. When Zerubbabel returned to Jerusalem with his skeleton crew of Jews to rebuild the temple, God told the governor how the job would get done. He said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. A completed temple would not be the result of man's muscle or his human ingenuity. Zerubbabel's greatest effort, his highest wisdom, would not be enough. What was needed was a work of the Holy Spirit. Today, God is building two temples. He's building you up as a temple. And if you're going to be a strong and a fit habitation for God and offer pleasing sacrifices, it's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God is also building us up. He's taking us all and He's interconnecting us into a larger temple. For He wants to dwell in our midst and reveal Himself in our love for each other. That's why church work also requires the Holy Spirit. Whether we're talking about what God wants to do in us personally or with us corporately, the key is the Holy Spirit. Yes, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Nothing of eternal value ever gets accomplished apart from the work of God's Spirit. On October the 15th, 1997, a man named David Huxley set a world record. Huxley strapped himself into a harness 
connected to a steel cable 15 yards long. The other end of the cable was attached to the front strut of a 747 jet airplane. The plane weighed 187 tons. With his sneakers digging into the runway, Huxley leaned forward and with all his might he started to pull. Remarkably, the plane began to roll down the runway. In fact, David Huxley pulled that 747 100 yards in 1 minute and 21 seconds. It was an incredible act of near superhuman strength. A world record. But sadly, Huxley's feet resembles the approach that many churches have taken toward God's work. Spreading the gospel and planting churches is like a 747. And it's the strength of a few extraordinary people with extraordinary effort are pulling the church along for short distances and for brief intervals. But you know, there's a much easier way to move a 747. You can just crank the baby up and take off. You can fly. And when God fires up our engines and gets the wind of the Holy Spirit under our wings, the church soars. Now we're no longer inching along. God's Spirit enables God's church to fly on the wind of God's power. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 tell the tragic story of a church trying to serve God without God. Did you know you can do this? You can try to serve God without God. When Paul first came to Ephesus, he discovered the believers there, they were ignorant of the Holy Spirit. He asked them, in fact, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Talk about a desperate situation. Imagine believers in Jesus who had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Here was a church paralyzed by their spiritual ignorance. They just didn't know. The disciples at Ephesus, they loved Jesus. They wanted to obey Him and spread the gospel. They had a great commission, yet they were plagued by a great omission. Here were a handful of believers attempting to convert and disciple a pagan city with no knowledge of the person and power of the Holy Spirit. What a strange situation. And yet this is the plight of churches today. Oh, there's a lot of effort, but little power. If you're like me, you don't want to be a powerless Christian. And you certainly don't want to be part of a powerless church. This is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Let me elaborate for a moment about a danger in the Christian life that I believe applies particularly to us. To sincere believers. To what I would call biblical believers. Hey, we can study the scriptures. We can be accurate in our doctrine. We can memorize verses and sniff out heresies. We can glory in the cross and share our faith and tithe our money. We can keep our noses clean and our hands out of trouble. We can live good, moral, spiritually innocuous lives. In other words, we can do all of the right stuff, yet miss out on the very crux of Christianity. For the Christian faith isn't just a creed to believe or rules to keep. It is a person to experience. Christianity is experiential. 
to know God, to know the fullness of His power is the Christian's birthright. This is the privilege of God's grace. This is the joy of my soul. Psalm 34 verse 8, baits us, even dares us in fact. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Did you know you can savor God? You can savor God. You can experience the God who created you. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. Christianity is certainly rational, but it's also relational. It's scriptural, but it's also spiritual. Christianity is historical, but it's also mystical. Hey, we all need to be reminded the Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We need His Spirit to permeate and propel us in all that we do. For 20 years, the great British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he excelled at expositional Bible teaching, what we love here at Calvary Chapel. He labored to instill right doctrine in his church. But toward the end of his ministry, he realized that his teaching had only produced a dead orthodoxy. Lloyd-Jones began to emphasize experiential faith. He talked about revival and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, the truth is we need both the power of God's Spirit and the truth of God's Word. We need both knowledge and might. I've heard it said like this, a church that has the Word without the Spirit will dry up. A church that has the Spirit without the Word will blow up. But a church that has the Spirit working through the Word will grow up. And that's the kind of church I want to be. God's Word is like a fireplace. It provides a frame and grate that keeps the fire from burning down the house. But a fireplace by itself is cold and hard and worthless without the fire. Certainly Christians need a good fireplace, but we also need to pray for the fire. Reminds me of the busy downtown attorney who was sitting at the red light in his fancy new sports car. Young boy rode up next to him on his moped. Boy wanted to talk, so the lawyer, he rolled down the window. Hey, mister, nice car. What kind is it? The lawyer snapped back, a Porsche. How much does it cost? Plenty. How fast is it? Well, just then the light turned green. The lawyer, he dropped the car down into gear and he left the boy in the dust. But as the Porsche accelerated, the lawyer noticed that the boy on the moped was gaining on him. Zoomed. The moped ran right past him. The lawyer couldn't believe his eyes. He, he hit the accelerator and he passed the moped. And yet again, the moped sailed by him going twice as fast as before. The lawyer was stunned. Finally, he gunned it. There's no way he's going to let a moped outrun him. But as he looked in his rearview mirror, he saw the moped accelerating faster and faster and faster. He wondered, what in the world could be empowering that scooter? As the boy on the moped shot around him, the lawyer was so shocked. He lost control of his car and he steered into the boy, ran the moped off the road. Well, the attorney jumped out and ran up to the guy. He apologized. He said, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I just didn't think a scooter could go that fast. Is there anything I can do to help you? The kid on the moped, he looked up at the lawyer, and he, and he says, well, yeah. He says, you can unhook my backpack from your rearview mirror. <laughs> and you see, here's the moral of the story. 
We're all just scooters. We're just scooting along. We're just mopeds. We lack the power that we need. But we can hook our backpack to the Holy Spirit. And we can tap into some tremendous and awesome might. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit blew through the upper room upon the disciples like a heavenly hurricane. Luke calls it a rushing mighty wind. You know, in my research for this message, I discovered that hurricanes, they originate in a geographical area known as the doldrums. It's a narrow belt of ocean with low pressure, little if no wind, generally calm seas. The doldrums, they lie near the equator between the trade winds. In the Atlantic Ocean, the doldrums are north of the equator. Thus, there are no hurricanes in the South Atlantic. In the Pacific, the doldrums are on both sides of the equator, and thus typhoons can strike either the northern or the southern hemisphere. Ironically, all the windstorms originate in the middle of the doldrums. And let me say... The same is true spiritually. Fresh breezes of the Holy Spirit. New gusts of supernatural strength. Heavenly hurricanes of revival. They also start in what we would call the doldrums of life. Here's how it happens. One day a Christian, or maybe a group of Christians, they decide that they've wasted too much time in the spiritual doldrums. They get honest before God. They admit that their life is lacking. That they're living far below what God intended. Their Christianity is powerless. Their witness is listless. Their service for Jesus has grown tedious. Their spirituality has become monotonous. Their morality seems meaningless. One day, this person or these persons, they wake up floating in the doldrums. They admit their discontent. And they become desperate enough to pray to God to send the wind. You see, here's what you and I need to realize. If we're in the doldrums this morning, if our life has sort of hit a lull, it only means that we are in perfect position to catch a gust of wind. The Holy Spirit starts His work at the point of our neediness. God always starts His movements in the doldrums. You see, the Bible tells us that we do have certain obligations in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. To be born of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to never grieve or quench the Spirit. And we can spend a lot of time this morning defining in detail these various commands. Yet lest I make our responsibilities to the Holy Spirit more complicated than they need be, just remember, the Spirit of God is like the wind. We don't see the wind, do we? We don't understand the wind. And we certainly don't control the wind. But when God sends the wind, we enjoy it. The wind is a mystery. But that doesn't stop me from utilizing it when it blows. You see, to me, the key to benefiting from the wind is not in my understanding of it or in my unraveling of its mystery. It's in my willingness to lift my sails in its direction. 
When Jesus imparted the Holy Spirit, he breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, figure me out or decipher this or you should understand that. He said simply, receive the Holy Spirit. The key to our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not our ability to decipher his ways, but our willingness to receive him in. Are you receptive to the Holy Spirit? Once after a Sunday morning service, a lady came up to me and she said simply, she said, I'm here today to receive the Holy Spirit. And we prayed. We prayed together that instant. And I believe the Lord breathed on her and she received what she wanted. Jesus wants to impart His Holy Spirit into your life, but you must be receptive I hope by now you realize we need the Holy Spirit more than a new car or a new house or a new job or a new friend. Some of you have been wanting a new car. Matter of fact, when I was talking about that Porsche earlier, you're thinking, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of what I need. <laughs> but more than those things, more than a new car, a new house, new job, new friend, you need the Holy Spirit. Hey, He'll take you places that no car can reach. He'll make you into a house for God. He'll use your life for eternal purposes. He'll be the best friend you can ever have. In a million ways, we need the Holy Spirit. You see, you and I, we'll always be like the little boy who brought the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. That's all we'll ever bring. That's all we've got to give the Lord. You and I are incapable of miracles. Our utmost is utterly insufficient. And yet here's the good news. The Holy Spirit takes up where Jesus leaves off. He takes our five loaves and our two fish and He multiplies our meagerness. Isn't that amazing? The Lord can take your little bit and He can transform it into much. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. If you desire to live in the light of God and know the truth of God and possess the life of God and feel the love of God and sense the presence of God and reflect to others the image of God and live in the will of God and behold the glory of God and be fueled by the power of God, and receive spiritual gifts from God, and then be fruitful and effective for God, then you need to depend on your relationship with the Spirit of God. Let me close with a story about the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. Taylor was aboard a ship bound for China. When it lost its wind, it lost the gust of wind that had filled its sails, and the ship began to drift perilously close to the Cannibal Islands. Well, the captain, he didn't like the... He didn't want to be on the natives' menu that night. The fresh catch of the day at the Cannibal Cafe. That wasn't his desire. And so he came to the missionary and he asked Hudson Taylor to please pray that God would send a wind. Well, Taylor asked the captain to raise the ship's sails. In the absence of a breeze, the captain thought it was foolish to raise. Why would you raise the sails if there's no wind? But Hudson Taylor refused to pray and ask God for a wind until the captain had hoisted his sails. Why pray if no one really believes God will answer? 
Finally, the stubborn captain, he gave in and he lifted the vessel's sails. Hudson Taylor then prayed, God sent the wind. And the moral of the story is clear to us. Don't expect Jesus to breathe his spirit into your life if you're not willing to ask God and be willing and raise your sails of faith. Be open. Be humble. Admit your need. Be willing. Be receptive. Today, our Lord Jesus breathes upon us and says to each of us, Receive the Holy Spirit. Will you receive?